This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. It is called the Parental Rights in Education Bill, a Florida bill that was just signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. But in the headlines, it's usually called the Don't Say Gay Bill. Interesting how the media has simply picked up that way of describing this bill that is intended to protect both parents' rights and the youngest children in our public schools. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So I have seen a lot of coverage about whether or not the contents of the Florida bill are being accurately covered Are there other angles, in particular religion angles, that need to be covered here? Well, first of all, I would assume that most of the coverage you've seen of the question of whether the bill is being accurately covered, I assume most of that coverage you've seen has been either in conservative media or in mainstream reports responding to conservative media. Is that a a safe assumption? Yes. Okay. So what we we actually have two different things going on here. One we have is the coverage. We have the coverage that exists. And then we have the coverage that doesn't exist. And in terms of the religion angles of this story, the religion angles are almost 99.9% in the coverage that doesn't exist. So thus, it's very hard to critique them for the simple reason that we're, in effect, critiquing a lack of coverage. But let's back up to the first issue for a second. I think the main reason this story has gotten so much attention, other than the obvious ability to put Disney in a headline, I think to some degree the coverage of this story and the creation of the phrase, don't say gay, is a reflection of what happened in Virginia with the very high profile that parental rights issues received in that election and the role that parental rights issues in education played in what was a tremendous embarrassment for the Democratic Party and for news media who had all but assumed that Virginia was going to be a cakewalk for the Democratic Party. And when it didn't turn out to be that way, and the main issue turned out to be other than, well, parental rights when it comes to COVID issues was part of it, obviously, and the frustration with COVID. But at the same time, the issue of transparency on curriculum and transparency on sex education and critical race theory arguments and all of that, that was the story in Virginia. And Virginia was a disaster from the viewpoint of the Democratic Party establishment. And I thus, it's safe to assume many key media figures in the Acela 
train belt between Washington, D.C. and Boston. Along comes Governor DeSantis, who has, for many people, has turned into the person who must be punched now for ratings purposes now that they don't have Donald Trump to play that role. Along comes DeSantis with a bill that is clearly modeled on what was learned in Virginia and what was learned in issues of parental rights and attempting to get open discussion of the contents of curriculum. And in there is this statement that sex education should be appropriate to the age of the students involved, and it recommends or demands, depends on how you want to read the wording, that you shouldn't deal with gender confusion issues or gender diversity issues in kindergarten through third grade. And any materials that were used in that period of time must meet the state's standards for appropriateness. Okay, so DeSantis wants to go back to the Virginia well, so to speak. And obviously, in the press, the decision was made early on that that just wasn't going to happen. And when the activist groups on one side of the issue came up with the phrase, never say gay or don't say gay, that became the headline, not parental rights 2.0, not ghosts of Virginia, not a lot of other things related to that. Because parental rights, when you put issues of curriculum transparency and parental rights in polling, the the left does not do well, obviously not with Republicans, obviously not with independents, and I'll bet you if the polls were specific enough, you would find out that these issues do not play well with critical subgroups in the Democratic Party related to Latino, Asian, and African-American voters. So basically we have a grid here. On one side you have coverage of the bill itself. And the only allowable story to pursue is, does it hurt LGBT students, period? And as you've heard from some of the coverage, getting into a discussion of what ages, you can't even really in the stories mention what ages the law actually affects because that is playing into the arguments of the governor and of the governor's supporters. Now, there are a number of other issues that we can talk about related to the entrance of Disney into this story and Disney's role in protesting the bill and fighting the bill. And within that is the role of activist groups within Disney. And basically, after spending an hour or so looking for coverage of those issues, I've come to the conclusion that any coverage of any of those issues is automatically conservative media. It's automatically conservative news. And this includes coverage of what the liberal groups are actually saying. In other words, if you cover what the activist groups within Disney are saying about the bill and what Disney should be doing to fight the bill, 
that is conservative coverage because it promotes a narrative of Disney being a force on the cultural left, which plays into the complaints decades in the making, plays into complaints by conservatives. So all of the issues that I think are most interesting about this story can't be covered for the simple reason that to cover them means validating the concerns of conservatives who are A, probably in favor of the bill, or B, concerned about whether they can openly air their views at Disney or anywhere else without losing their jobs or other forms of cancel behavior. So it's really a classic illustration of how our news media has been divided and thus the news audience has been divided and thus public discourse has been divided because neither of these two sides are listening to each other at all. So that was going to be my question. Is it not just two different media streams? Are these two streams effectively siloed off from one another, except when they decide to snipe at each other across the the cable channels? Well, of course they're silos, because Americans right now are living, for the most part, in concrete media silos, either created by social media or defined by social media. And this has become the dominant theme of the last two national elections, and you bring it up in any state or regional elections, and it shows up. The simple fact of the matter is no one can agree on what the bill says, even though the bill language should be considered a neutral set of facts that both sides should be able to agree on, the language of the bill, which is in public record. At the same time, the language being used by the Disney activist groups should be considered, in my opinion, public material because they are making it semi-public in their statements to their own board and to other groups relevant to the discussion. But covering that favors the conservatives, even though you're promoting the public's ability to know what the left side of the debate is saying. Does that make any sense? It's, it's really a complex issue, but the key to it is you can't cover anything that hurts the don't say gay is the issue headline narrative. Covering anything else is wrong. Let me give you an example of some of the stories that I think are fascinating. I didn't know until our own Clemente Lisi brought it up that Governor DeSantis is a Roman Catholic. And it turns out that his Catholic beliefs are only mentioned when they conflict in any way with the views of, say, Pope Francis, Pope John Paul II, and some other recent popes. And there I'm primarily talking about death penalty issues. I would be very curious to know what's happening at Disney with Roman Catholics. In most major industries of this kind, there are either explicit Catholic ministries serving the people who work in such a large and influential industry, or there are Roman Catholic parishes that contain, in this case, potentially hundreds of people who work 
at Disney and in Disney-related companies, industries, etc., I'd be very interested in knowing what Catholic personnel are saying about this and what their own Catholic leaders are saying about this. Because if Catholic leaders aren't saying anything at all, that's an interesting story. That's the old, the dog that didn't bark story from Sherlock Holmes. The, the story is not that the dog barked, but the fact that the dog didn't bark tells us something. Meanwhile, you have the exact same situation with Southern Baptist. And of course, Southern Baptist history with Disney goes back several decades now, including a, an attempt to boycott Disney products. Gosh, has that been like 25 years ago or something like that now? But all that showed was that Southern Baptist had zero control over the media habits of their own people and their ability of allegedly culturally conservative families to in any way limit their media consumption of anything. And this, of course, is a subject that I keep bringing up over and over and over as a major story. How do conservative groups hope to have any impact on Disney when their own churches have absolutely nothing to say about the role that mass media technology and screen culture plays in modern homes? There's just this deafening silence of seminaries and denominational groups on that. And at the same time, you still have the same as throughout my entire 30-year career in teaching on these topics. You have almost no culturally conservative schools doing anything to create professional-level artists, writers in the fields of screenwriting, cartooning, etc., there's no attempt to engage the actual professional standards. So there are ghosts in this story over there on the right as well. There's one other ghost subject here that I think is really interesting, and someone would have to put it in a poll to be able to talk about it pretty openly. I think at some point they're going to have to ask the question, have X number of parents what percentage have actually given up on public schools precisely for these reasons? And this gets us back into a nuclear bomb style issue that was debated at the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of decades ago, which was at what point does the Southern Baptist Convention and other culturally conservative groups openly come out in opposition to public schools? saying that without clear legislation protecting parental rights and transparency on curriculum, it's just time to walk away. That would be a, um, a huge story. And at this point, I can't see the media doing anything in covering that story in any way that would probably be fair to people on the conservative side of the issue. I'm afraid that we, the coverage would totally be based on the the views of public school leaders, maybe unions, etc. That's going to be a very important issue to cover fairly, accurately, and in a balanced manner with voices on both sides. But if this bill is any indication, I think the odds are slim and none that that kind of coverage could occur.
So, Terry, it's almost, and I think it's one of the things that Clemente C.C. actually points out in the piece you were talking about, that many in the media routinely refer to President Biden as a devout Catholic. Odd that if it's just straight coverage, they're entering, they have an adjective in there. But not Governor DeSantis. What's going on there? Well, it is a controversial term, and I'm happy to report that the Associated Press Manual of Style, I wrote a column about this this past Monday, the Associated Press Manual of Style has officially said devout is now a buzzword that should be avoided by the press, and that instead of saying you know, that someone is a devout Catholic, you should actually try to say something about their actions or their views. He is a weekly mass Catholic. He is a weekly mass Catholic yet who has been opposed by, you need some actual information describing this person's reaction to the faith and relation to the faith. In the case of DeSantis, I assume that would mean actually talking to the man and potentially even talking to his priest. And it appears that in the Trump era, talking to conservative Republicans about issues like that is seen as dangerous because everyone is so worried about the the Latino vote and the Catholic vote in the first place. So I think it's perfectly valid to ask hard questions about DeSantis and his faith. Is, Is he an active churchgoer? Are his children in Catholic schools? How is he living out his faith? The old saying goes, follow the money. Or in to use the TMAT phrase, how do they spend their time? How do they spend their money? How do they make their decisions? In other words, in the case of DeSantis, what can we document about the role his faith plays in the hours and the days of his life, in the funding of his life, in the causes he supports? And then are there Catholic thinkers who clearly have had an impact on this man? That's one of the first things I would ask, especially if we're assuming that in a post-Trump world, he emerges as a major leader on the Republican right. There was something that I found in uh, Clemente's piece, Forget Religion, that I wanted you to comment on. And he's actually quoting a paragraph from the Associated Press on the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. And they use a term in here that just jumped out at me, and it was called, here's the phrase, amid increased attention on Florida as Republicans push culture war legislation. And DeSantis ascends in the GOP. Culture war legislation. Well, yeah, that's a common abuse of what the term culture war actually meant, both before and after it was written about famously in the book by James Davison Hunter, Culture Wars. In Hunter's book, which is probably more influential on me than any other book I've read in the second half of my adult life in academia, he argues that a true culture war is a debate that surfaces or provides evidence of the fact that one side of the debate believes that there are absolute and eternal truths that exist, while the other side argues that truth is a relative term, it's an evolving term, and that it's in effect bigoted to say that there are absolute truths that are permanent, that they are transcendent is a big word with James Davison Hunter. 
Well, in this case, the term is just simply being used as any issue that matters to religious conservatives is now a culture war issue, that they're trying to promote warfare over the culture. And I, I might add, as if it was the right who started activism within Disney on these topics, as if it was the right who started efforts to include these kinds of topics earlier and earlier and earlier in the lives of school children, etc., and then defined those topics is as if we don't present these topics the way the following teachers and educators want them covered, children will commit suicide if we don't do this. Wow, that sounds kind of culture warry language to me. But once again, you would have to say that the culture wars era has affected the arguments, the language, and the imagery of both sides, which, by the way, I would argue is true. I think both sides have gone across a lot of lines in discussions of some of these issues. But once again, covering both sides of the issue is by its very nature a conservative news approach. You had mentioned the Disney LGBTQA activism. Right. Does it matter or is it merely corporate virtue signaling? Well, Disney is such a powerful force in American culture that I think debates about Disney will always be there. But I want to stress that you have two different subjects here that need to be discussed. We, we kind of have alluded to both of them, but let me put them together for our listeners. And subject number one is, what are the Disney leaders actually saying? And when they make public remarks about the fact that 50% of their characters need to be racial minorities, gender minorities, and LGBTQ, they add an A and I, on the end of that, I think it's valid for there to be public debates about accurate transcripts and reports of what these people have said. I also think the conservative writer, Megan Basham, I believe is the name, who has done so much work on this topic, she has actually started discussing these issues with conservatives inside Disney, which by their very nature, this is going to be controversial coverage because these are people who believe, whether it's valid or not, we'll have to see, they believe that they cannot allow their names to be used, which then allows people to say of Megan's coverage, well, how do we even know her? She's quoting real people. How do we know that these she says, you know, there are many religious conservatives inside of Disney. There are many Catholics inside of Disney, and these people are worried about keeping their jobs. To me, this is a fascinating and totally valid story. But it won't be considered a valid story until we see media across the spectrum of our politicized press, until we see coverage from conservative, centrist, and liberal media in which these people are quoted and their views are taken seriously. And I 
the views of people on the left and the views of people on the right inside Disney. I just think this will remain another topic the media doesn't want to cover because that's a story that just conservative media, like the Daily Wire, the Daily Mail, just conservatives, just religious people care about those topics. And thus, it won't be news until the press decides that it's news. With less than a minute here, Terry, DeSantis is almost certainly going to make an attempt at a presidential run, all other things being equal. What should the press be doing to suss out his religious views and how they influence how he would govern? Well, it's interesting in the sense that I don't think they'll have any trouble finding liberal Catholics who are more than willing to criticize him. And I want to stress that those voices are valid. The question, I think, is whether mainstream Catholic leaders and educators think that it's safe for them to say anything positive about a conservative Catholic who has been identified as culturally conservative on these issues. In other words, at what point is it dangerous for Catholics to stand up to National Public Radio, the New York Times, and other elite media organizations and try to get their voices heard? I think it's at this point it's very obvious that a lot of conservative Catholics are refusing interviews from these publications because they don't believe their views will be treated accurately and fairly. I think that's a bad approach. I think that what they should do is accept interviews with these publications with the understanding that they intend to tape the interviews themselves with the full right of posting transcripts of those interviews on the websites of their dioceses, of their colleges and universities, and elsewhere. The more information we see on the record from both the left and the right on the work of someone like DeSantis, the more information on the record, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.